And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday of The Real Investment Show. I'm Rich Rosso here with... I was going to say Danny Ratliff, but you know, all after a while, all these certified financial planners look the same, Brent. Uh, but <laughs> who, who it's is really Jonathan Penn? Good morning, everybody. Who I always call the Rudolph Valentino uh-huh. of the office. Yes, you oh, know, stop. Poor John Barrymore when he stands sideways. Do you know when we worked together at Schwab? You know, he was like all of a sudden, like. All the couples that wanted, like the husbands, would come in mm-hmm. when John had the appointment. Yeah. All of a sudden, oh, my wife wants to really accompany me today. <laughs> I don't understand. She's never really been involved with money. Okay, well, I think I might know the answer to this. Y'all are way too kind, especially <laughs> this early in the morning. I appreciate it. But for all the brawn, there's that creepy commercial. You ever see the the Allstate commercial with the talking hood ornament? Mm-hmm. That thing freaks me out. I don't like that commercial. <laughs> but he's got the brawn. I got the brains. Let's make lots of money. But he's also got the brains. John Penn, certified financial planner, uh, who's joined our group a while back. Probably still regrets it. But, um, you know, it's... Still here. <laughs> at least for now. Um, well, you know, it's this battle between the Dow and the NASDAQ. And this battle has to do with, are we going to have inflation or going to have deflation or disinflation or stagflation? In other words, we're going to have some form of inflation. We just don't know. So at the bottom of the hour, we will have again our Fed mudgeon, Michael Leibowitz. Um, he's not curmudgeon like uh, Lance and I. Um, because what's good about Mike, I have some questions because I'm a bit puzzled. And I say that about the Fed over the last 13 years. Um, I'm a bit puzzled by some of the actions or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. You know, John, it's, um, it's funny to see how... Um, the moral hazard that the Fed's built into the system. Uh, we talk about price distortions in almost every asset class. Um, we've seen lumber come back, to, sort of come back to earth, um, and some metals. But, you know, the Fed is sort of thinking there's going to be inflation. You know, I don't, to Lance's point, he brings this up. Yes, there are supply chain issues. People want to spend money. But we're going to be coming to the end of stimulus, extended benefits, unemployment, and this cash is going to run out. Um, and as uh, Michael's talked about, you know, real wages, when you consider inflation, are now negative. Um, companies are going to continue to spend on tech. So you have these Dow days, NASDAQ days, growth stocks versus value stocks, because the Fed just might take a teeny weeny step. <laughs> In 2023, well, listen, we don't want to upset the apple cart, but we're going to talk about talking about it, and uh, which is a really strange kind of thing when you say we're going to talk about talking about it. You know, the oh, I'm going to sound like the guy in the wheel in the in the 
in the rocking chair, when in my day, the Fed would just come out and say and do what they're going to do. I mean, you'd have to, you'd need a booklet to understand Greenspan. Well, and to your point, I think the market right now is is so sensitive to not only news and headlines, but they're really watching what the Fed has to say. Because really, at the end of the day, the, the Fed is the the entity that that really has the power right now. And I think it's all eyes on the Fed. And I think they they're in a very de- you know delicate situation as far as you know, hey. You know, are, are we going to talk about talking about you know, perhaps taking some next steps here mm-hmm. with, with their policy? And they really have to ease into this not to create just shock and awe for the market. Well, and they don't have to do much to create a little bit of shock. Um, we haven't seen the awe yet. And the, the shock comes in Dow futures down 55 points. So the inflationary trades are retracing a bit. And the NASDAQ trades or the growth trades um, are doing better. I will tell you that obviously, and Michael will also add to this, you are seeing pretty much every sector is overvalued. Uh, Some growth sectors, probably like healthcare, look a little bit better. Um, But growth is definitely uh, over the last few days since the Fed has announced the talking about talking about talking about it. (laughs) Uh, It sounds like a cool movie on Hallmark that Powell might be in uh, for Christmas. Um, You know, he... I don't know, but Yellen just walked into the bar and she mesmerized me. Um, so I, I just don't know how you go from here. Lance has been expecting a correction. Right now, I call it um, an indigestion where you're just sort of consolidating. Not, and consolidation is not a bad thing because you work off uh, overbought conditions that way. But you got to keep in mind, there's, there's, a, there's a wedge. There's something between this big inflation everybody expects and deflation. There's some intermediary and part of that reason is, John, you know, if you're a CEO right now and you're not raising prices, you're a jerk because this is your opportunity. People are not price sensitive to anything. They will be once once the cash coffers run out. And for the most part, um, when you look at cash and all this talk about trillions of dollars in cash, you know, it's the wealthiest people who have the cash. They're gonna spend a little bit of it, but they're not gonna go out there and spend it all. What's getting spent is stimulus. And without more stimulus, this is gonna be a problem or at least a moderation. Um, so it's gonna be very important to see retail sales, but companies who are ra- that are raising prices right now, Chipotle, uh, look at Kimberly Clark, Procter & Gamble. If, 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 if you go ahead and say, okay, I'm CEO of Procter & Gamble, I go ahead and I raise prices on Tide Pods, I am not going to lower those prices again. Right. Now, I might have less pods to eat, but I mean, uh, to use for laundry, but I am... Um, I, I do have sorry nobody eat Tide Pods okay. Um, yeah, when did that become a phase? I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm just showing my age. I, I don't understand. That, you know what? When I was not to digress. Team, sorry. I mean, I, I I never would have thought that you know they'd look that appetizing for me to pop one in my mouth. Um, and but what do I know? Um, you know, maybe Downey's little chase little Downey softener chaser. With it, liquid. Maybe it's low carb. Ice. Is it keto? I don't know. <laughs> hey, if it's keto friendly, <laughs> line up the pods, friend. Um, you know, so what they'll do is they'll take some pods out of the package, right? Or they shrink the package. So again, I'm going to bring up. Oh, when I was a kid, um, I was used to pack out at 12 years old. I worked at a at a store called Sea Town, but it was like you know, it was a grocery store. 
the size of the coffee cans. <laughs> like they oh. had the mega sized coffee cans, like the ones you see at probably Costco and all that. But those were like normal and they were at the bottom shelf and you always lug, you know, taking those out. You don't see, like even the regular sized cans were bigger, right? Cereal boxes were bigger. Now everything's smaller, so they could just shrink packaging, right? Well, and, and you know, my first job really was I worked at a grocery store myself. Uh-huh. You know, I would bag groceries and stock the shelves. And I remember, too, even just jars of product were larger than. Bigger. And now when you look on the bottom of the jar, the <laughs> indents that go up into the product are getting larger, which means they're squeezing less product into that jar. That's but they just, they hide it from you. Now that's pretty sneaky. They hide it from you. So the jar See, still looks the, the same size, but there's oh, less but volume in it. Oh, now you look at the glass. Oh, you know what? Mm-hmm. He is like Columbo. Hey, it's all about watching your money, man. If Valentino was a detective. Uh, we'll be right back here on Financial Fitness Friday. Stay tuned. to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Uh, welcome back. I know I wrote a piece a couple, well, not a couple years ago, about last year about inflation. And, um, and I was talking about when I was you know, it's when I was packing out stuff and you went to buy food uh, in the mid to late 70s, you know, prices were pretty high. And there's always this talk about, oh, my gosh, are we going to see 70s type, you know, inflation? Mm-hmm. Um, the reason you're seeing inflation now, um, the classic definition is too many dollars chasing too few goods. So if you think about it this way, right? If I walk into a supermarket today, I am totally overwhelmed with the, how many brands of paper towels and everything else. In the 70s, you'd walk into a grocery store and you had one or two brands, that's it, right? So, and we have right now too much money, right? With all the stimulus, just chasing too few goods. So a lot of what you're gonna see is supply chain. I think when you hear hyperinflation uh, and 70s type, inflation, um, that it's a little bit more of a media spin than possible reality. I think you have to prepare for higher prices in many things. Uh, But I have a Radio Shack catalog from 1977. Ooh, that's vintage. It is. It's really good. It's in good shape. And you know what a you know, like Some a, folks are going, what's Radio Shack? What's right? <laughs> Actually, Radio Shack is still around. 
Brent would be like to know this. Online. Online. <laughs> and they have all the same items that you wanted. Yeah. And I thought I was going to get a Radio Shack t-shirt, but man, I don't want to really be that nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have I, I, your battery card? Remember the free battery cards? Yes, I do remember those. Yeah. But I always used to love to go to Radio Shack and look at the scanners and mm -hmm. all that. Because yeah. I've always been a radio freak. But they still, now online, it's like going, into, it's like the old Radio Shack, but without the rude help. For people that don't help you. So it's, uh, it's or okay. The, the stupid help. Yeah, but I'm saying uh, is, yeah, you actually have all the stuff that you always looked at through Radio Shack, but it's online. So a lot of companies are capitalizing on old brands that are no longer storefronts, like Sharper Image. Mm -hmm. And I think it's resonating. So a shelf stereo with the turntable and a couple of speakers, top of the line, what do you think it cost in 19... 77. Wow. I'm just going to throw out a number. This is the first number that came to my mind. <laughs> this uh, price is right. I'm going to say $180. That would be a bargain. Wouldn't sound very good either. It wouldn't. <laughs> no. Well, go ahead, Brent. You probably have a much. I, I paid $400 for a really nice. A really system. nice one. So yeah. this store. The, Back this in the 70s. Sort of respectable. Sort mm -hmm. of wood grain veneer. <laughs> Looks real. That was looked like wood, but it was yeah. doink, doink, doink when you hit it. Mm -hmm. $459. Yeah. Yeah, it was way Top off. Top of the line. Now, if you and, were... And a three-speaker speaker box. Yes. You had a, a tweeter, a mid-range, and a woofer. Right. Woof. Top of the line, $659. Mm -hmm. You see, there's all this talk about globalism, and there are some negatives to globalism. One of the positives to globalism in the, fa in the face of stagnant wage growth over the last 25 years um, is the fact that my standard of living has sort of gone up without wages going up. Part of it is I'm using credit, but the other part of it is I'm able to get goods much cheaper, right? Um, so that kind of inflation, the supply chain inflation, that's going to dissipate. But you will have higher inflation rates when you look at um, overall food and other costs because CEOs who are raising prices today are not going to lower those prices. What I don't know is gonna happen, John, is when people become much more price sensitive again, when the stimulus is over, the extended unemployment and all this, because I even remember during the financial crisis, like, Tide, you know, Procter & Gamble was like, oh my gosh, nobody's buying Tide mm -hmm. pods, right? They're buying gain, right? We have, to, we have to shift our whole strategy. I just don't know uh, if that's going to happen again. You know, it's, um, we'll have to see. And in, in, in folks that I've been talking with recently, too, as, as stimulus tends to run out, they are wanting to sit on and hold a little bit more cash on, on hand. And it's always good to have emergency funds and have your savings set aside. You always want to have that set aside for a rainy day. But it seemed like there was a frenzy there for a while where everybody was doing, you know, home, home remodeling or renovations and all and certain projects. And, you know, with the recent price increase in lumber, a lot of folks wanted to work on their backyards and redo fences, but they held off on that. And folks are, are, are even being a little bit more shy on that now. They're yes. not willing to spend that money. At least that's, right. that's so my, I think, no, that's, I that's what I'm seeing. No, I mean, and listen, I want to explain to everybody out there, you're all economists. This is social science. You live in this soup. I would take 
your economic analysis over some economist sitting behind some desk and doesn't even talk to, to people that drive into work every day, okay? Or understand price sensitivity. So eventually it comes back. So this is what's interesting. If you look at the OASDI trustees report, because when you look at Social Security, we're probably going to get a cost of living adjustment of over 5% next year. What we don't know is with people going back to the doctor, right? Post, people were postponing all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Where Medicare premium inflation, Medigap inflation, I think we're covered for now. But we have to watch this as planners very, very carefully. So if you looked at uh, certain cycles, 1969, 73, 73, 79, uh, 79 to 90, the CPI averaged about 4.59% over five complete cycles. But I will tell you, you got to keep in mind, we had this really distortion cycle in the 70s. When you really look at this, um, the International Monetary Fund projects the U.S. inflation rate to be around 2.4% through 2026. Now, four weeks ago, I went in and raised our our base inflation rate in our planning software to 2.5%. And the reason I'm saying this to you all is you're going to have more inflation because prices will, will not go back down once they're going higher. You might see some specials once in a while where you can you know, stock up and all that if, if, if uh, companies think that they're not selling enough product. But um, so some inflation's back and will be higher than it was pre-pandemic. Some inflation is going to be we're going to sort of go back to where we were or close to it because of supply chain disruption. But the, the one thing we're not talking about is this rise against globalism. It's not just the United States. Everybody's got proverbial walls up. You know, everybody looks like they're playing kumbaya, but they're not, <laughs> right? China doesn't want to do this. This country doesn't want to do that. Everybody is going to become more nationalistic because their people are becoming that way. Because what they're noticing is our wages stink when there is globalization. Uh, so I don't think it's going away. I just think that there's more of an emphasis to just to sort of be at home, stick to doing stuff at home for our people. Oh, at least I think so. I'm not yeah. sure anymore. But I mean, overall, I think the and I'm talking about the sentiment of the people, not the sentiment of the government. So obviously, if we produced a lot of stuff here, like even say the iPhone, prices are going to go up, right? We might go back to a Radio Shack uh, stereo. What about this whole, this dearth of semiconductors now, right? We're talking about maybe giving credits, looking at, you know, incenting U.S. companies um, for tech. That's not a bad idea. Uh, So we might see some higher inflation there. That's why, again, I had to raise the inflation estimates for us. What I don't know is we know medical inflation Long-term care inflation, we know long-term care is such a big issue. You sent out us to us an article. Very fascinating, right? In Washington, state of Washington? State of Washington, that's right. Where they're actually saying, hey, if you don't purchase long-term care coverage, you're going to purchase long-term care coverage through us. Oh, it's, it's a payroll tax for the residents in the state of Washington. 
and there's no cap on your payroll. It doesn't matter how much you make, no matter how much you earn, the state is going to take, at least initially, the number is 0.58% of your W-2 income to put it into a pool or a fund that will be used to help the residents pay for long-term care expenses in the future. Right now, the max benefit there is that, that the resident would receive is you know $36,500 a year. So it for high-income earners in the state mm-hmm. of Washington, you could actually overpay into the into the pool and receive a smaller benefit. So for high income earners, it's actually more beneficial to look at a privately held you know, long term care policy. And right now, the private insurance carriers are getting inundated with applications. In fact, we heard this week that one carrier is not taking any new applications until possibly November of this year. Wow. So there's a and that's the Washington is the first state to do this. It'll be interesting interesting to see if other it states follow. It will not be the last. And it's the same thing where higher income earners are going to subsidize lower income because they're just going to get a greater percentage of benefit for the taxes paid. It's sort of like how Social Security works. Even though I can get a great benefit by maxing it out, I, I'm still not getting a percentage of my after, my income in retirement would be higher for someone who makes less than someone who makes more. I think this is a game changer. We know long-term care is a problem. We know it's a big issue. It, we call it the elephant in the, the room. elephant in the room. We know what's going to happen by 2050 when, you know, oh, I won't be here. But older baby boomers are going to be here, need the help. So I see many more states looking at this because they're suffering too, and they know what's coming. And if you don't get long-term care coverage on your own, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. Um, And I think that's coming to many, many states who haven't faced the fact yet. Hey, we get back our Fed mudgeon, Mike Leibowitz, to discuss Mr. Powell, his favorite topic. We'll be right back. Listening to the Real Investment Show. You could be one of the seven in ten people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than seventy-six hundred dollars a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June. 24th at noon. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back. So we're here with uh, Mike Leibowitz and his... <laughs> <laughs> I have got to get this shirt. <laughs> Fed Grammar Matters shirt hashtag as much as i disdain twitter that is a great hashtag um my hashtag for you is fed mudgeon um that might be a shirt i have to get you for the holidays fed mudgeon um, yeah well like curmudgeon right because but you're mudgeony uh, over the fed uh, uh, gotcha. yeah because yeah. mike's like how about that fed um <laughs> 
So, um, can I, uh, can I apologize? Can I first of all start with an apology to Brent? Sure. What? Yesterday was Fed Day. Yeah. Or post Fed Day. Lance always talk about the Fed. And I forgot to wear my favorite present from Brent. This is our new tradition. <laughs> so, Brent, I'm wearing it today to make up for yesterday. All is forgiven. <laughs> is that a is that a is that I, your gift? Yes. To Mike, that's a very good. I one. love it. <laughs> I couldn't sleep last night, Brent. He was, was so excited. He was so excited. <laughs> you know, when I first I didn't see the language, I just saw the black shirt, mm-hmm. and I said, "Oh, he's got this like John Wick thing yeah. going on or mm-hmm. something," and then. There it is. That's perfect. I'm thinking we should market these on the website. I'm thinking you're right. I I think a billboard. It would look good on a billboard, too. Right here, over here off I-10. I like that. Or Powell in the bowel or something. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, I am confused, Mike, just and and, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. But um, first of all, obviously, with just how the Fed, whatever mandates are a moving target, but... I really was very surprised by the talk about the talk about the talk about the interest rates more than why aren't we tapering? Like, I really thought we would be in the tapering stage, or at least that would be more imminent than rate increases. And it seems like right. there is no taper. Are there still liquidity issues out there that the Fed needs to, to continue to purchase bonds? Oh, no, absolutely not. And this is what drives me crazy. You know, after the meeting, every every six weeks or so, he does a press conference and no one has even asked him why they are doing this. Right. What's the purpose? Is it driving up inflation? Because the answer is not really, because we have enough history to know that that's not really the case. Um, We uh, Six weeks ago, some reporter asked him one of the few very good questions. And, and Richard, just so you know, and I think you know this, if you ask a tough question, you're not invited back. Right. So so they have to kind of put up these uh, layups for for Powell. And someone asked him, why are you buying mortgages when the mortgage when the housing market's on fire? Mortgage rates are at all time lows. And, and when we say all time lows, I know there weren't mortgages in the 1700s, but we're talking about interest rates that go back to before they signed the Declaration of Independence, Mm -hmm. right? These aren't just 20, 30 year type numbers we're giving out, right? So why are they heavily supporting a market that is clearly overheated, right? They're pushing, they're they're not only allowing people to, to bid up houses, but they're allowing companies like BlackRock, Lance and I talked about this a little yesterday, they're allowing companies like BlackRock to buy whole neighborhoods and basically push prices up further, making it more unaffordable for the large majority of people. And that's where most people's wealth happens to be in the Fed. Forget the stock market manipulation. You think this housing market manipulation is egregious. It's almost like they've thrown all the rule book out and I am incredibly astounded by you would think by the lessons we learned through the financial crisis and now you're bidding up homes and I understand even after the financial crisis Wall Street was becoming owners and people were becoming renters but now even more to a degree BlackRock seems to be infiltrating a lot of things and yet they continue and but I don't Richard, know any other I, reason but political. I don't know what, or whatever it might be to, to do this. But you're hurting the people, most, the majority of American people who consider their home the centerpiece of wealth for them or where most of their wealth is. 
Right. But I think, you know, I think we both kind of answered your question. It's asset prices, right? Their goal, you know, their goal is to boost asset prices. And that's becoming more and more obvious, you know, especially over the last year, but over the last 10 years, right? Their goal is not to necessarily, they want to help the economy, don't get me wrong. But I think their first goal is to boost asset prices. And, you know, if you say, well, why, right? I think the best answer is that pension funds are so grossly underfunded that if they were to collapse because their investments don't do well, the the burden on the United States, on the Treasury, on whoever would have to bail them out or the the bailout that would occur via depression would be so horrendous that the Fed believes that they have to keep asset prices, you know, stable at a minimum. Right. Why else did they go in and buy junk debt? Why are they supporting a housing market that's on fire? Well, a lot of pension funds own mortgage backed securities. Right. I, I understand why they bought mortgages in 2009, <laughs> right. 2010. Right. That, you know, I don't necessarily agree, but it made sense. I, I made There's sense. logic to it. it. Exactly. Why <laughs> they touched them this time is beyond me. Th- that that sector didn't need any help. And they could have if that sector started failing, they could have jumped in there. But they just and now I think, you know, next time we have a crisis, they're just going to automatically buy corporate bonds or and you know what? I mean, Richard, we both know this is coming. They're buying stocks at some point directly. Well, so interesting story. I probably told you this, but one of my mentors, John Bott, who's a hedge fund manager out here who I've worked with for years, um, we had dinner during the financial crisis. I'll never forget. And he said, Rich, mark my words. The, the Fed will purchase S&P index in the future. Mm-hmm. And I laughed at him. Like now I owe him a dinner. Like I, I had to tell one right. of our friends, I said, you got to get John. I got to take him for dinner because I owe him one. Because <laughs> I pretty much said, come on. Th- there's no way they're going to cross that line. But you, you have to say, will they? So you wonder why investors are so trained to believe the Fed is going to bail them out. Right. I just don't know what the end game is or how they extract away because, listen, Powell's not talking about this massive rate increase situation in, in, in 2023, but it was enough to at least shift the market sentiment to look at growth versus value again. I don't know how long that lasts or the Fed's focused on inflation, but are they? I don't think they. Well, that's a really interesting point. Yesterday, when I was talking with Lance, the Fed, I said the Fed was very, seemed to be very upset about inflation, that they underpredicted it, that it's rising quicker than they thought, that he only used the word transitory twice yesterday, uh, twice on uh, Wednesday. He mm-hmm. used it nine times the month before to describe inflation. So they appear to be moving away from a transitory state of inflation to something, and he used the word persistent too, to something more persistent. Right. So I think he gave lip talk to inflation. They didn't want they didn't want the market to think the Fed was sitting resting on their laurels, not worried about inflation. I think they wanted to show the market that they really are paying attention and are concerned. But are they really a step closer to taper? And that's kind of what's been going through my head the last 12 hours is was that just B.S.? Was that just the Fed? using their typical Fed gibberish to try to steer markets, to try to make everyone comfortable. But they have 
the same intention to taper, the same intention to raise rates that they had six weeks ago. And, and unfortunately, this, these are the games they play with us. Right. We have to parse their words. I mean, this is why 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 we should all have shirts like this to remind us <laughs> that that they play games with us, that that they have so much power. They control the markets that we have no choice but to just think about every word they say, every adjective. Oh, they changed the adjective on the inflation rate. That must mean they're more concerned or they're less concerned. And sometimes they just use different words. You know, I joked around on Twitter the other day. What if Powell were to say temporary instead of transitory? Would that send all the algorithms into an uproar? Would that crash the markets or boost the market by 5%? Like this is, this is the joke that the Fed has become, and it's because they are so powerful. And it's scary. It's honestly scary that we have to waste our time talking about grammar and talking about what we think someone is thinking versus studying earnings, studying macroeconomics. And, and Mike, you know, we've always done that. Um, you and I have been in the business long enough. We've always parsed the Fed, but it was part of what we did. Right. It, wasn't, it wasn't like, okay, we also, like you just said, fundamentals and earnings, all this other stuff was important, but the Fed we knew could drive markets. But <clears throat> maybe it, the firepower was much less. Right. Now, that's all you focus on. Right. I mean, yeah, we do, you know, we try to look at the right things when we purchase stocks. We look at the fundamentals. We look at cash flows. We look at the, but we all know the overriding factor to all of this is what the Fed does or what the right. Fed says. And I don't know if they're, and I don't, I don't know how they're going along with this whole, because, uh, you know, Yellen has become much more of um, willing to look at fiscal policies. And I don't know if she's always been this way. And I want to talk a little bit about this, her influence on Powell and the growth versus value trade. Uh, when we come back, if you want to stick around with us in your Absolutely. Neat, neato shirt that I would need. That would be better than a Radio Shack shirt. I'm going to tell you right now. Hey, we'll be right back with Mike Leibowitz, John Penn, here on Financial Fitness Friday. Stay tuned. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at Real Invest investmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care june 24th at noon realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show a modern day warrior me me try today's tom sawyer me me cry. 
and welcome back. You know, we've just been talking about the Fed because it's just some very new fascinating dynamics going on with them. I always believed that Powell always, even Yellen, sort of started to nudge for fiscal stimulus and saying, guys, we, you know, we can't control, we can only do certain things. We only can manipulate rates and then all this other creative stuff that they do. But they really are not... They can affect an economy with lower rates that's just going through some garden variety stuff. We don't go through garden variety stuff anymore. Every 10 years, we get a Minsky moment. And so I really thought that once you'd see more fiscal stimulus or, or an administration that was more, more receptive to it, that then the Fed could say, okay, we can retrace. You know, we don't, in other words, well, I'm not going to come in with both guns blazing now. I can pull one gun away. But that just doesn't seem the case. And I hear in more in Yellen's voice pushing much more for fiscal stimulus. But I wonder what she says to Powell about when they cross those lines, because I'm sure they do, and they've been friends, for monetary stimulus. I I don't hear a part of that conversation because she was on a tape yesterday or this morning saying that she doesn't believe in MMT. So MMT is essentially letting the Fed print money to pay for fiscal stimulus. She doesn't now, there's believe in that, she said? They, she doesn't, she doesn't she believe does in not. it? She does modern, not modern. believe in MMT. Hmm. So I'm, that's one mm-hmm. thing yet Janet Yellen and I agree on. That's one. Uh, we're making progress. But, I see another shirt in the future. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, if I hadn't have seen that, I would have said, Janet Yellen goes to goes over to the Federal Reserve building, walks down the street and says, hey, Jerome, we're going to borrow another X trillion. We're going to need you to get on your horse and buy it from us because, you know, the Fed has bought more Treasury securities mm-hmm. than they've issued over the last, uh, I believe it's three months. When does that ever think really? About that. When does that ever yeah, happen? Think about before. that. Treasury issuance I, right. available to the public has shrunk. Yes. I mean, is that first time? Uh, not the first time, but it's because the remember they ran a surplus a couple of years oh, under right. Clinton. But the the available debt to the public that the public can buy and sell has shrunk, despite the largest deficit ever and the largest deficit as a percentage of GDP, except for World War Two. Mm-hmm. That includes the Civil War, War, World War One, the Great Depression, the financial crisis, every other thing you can think of. How crazy is that? Yeah. And again, I'm not minimizing COVID in any degree, but it was a right. virus. And if you look at statistics on this versus major illnesses that have traveled through, uh, you know, in, in international here, it didn't warrant it. Um, so it's but a either bit, way. But I but agree. Either way. Why are they still doing it? I don't know. Especially when they keep touting that way. We're back to normal. You know, right. look at this. Look at this industrial production number. How it's bounced back. Look at retail sales. Look, the the issue I see is in this recency bias gone crazy. Is everybody's talking about all the talking heads that this is a trajectory that continues. In other words, we were out of the toy. We were in the toilet water. Now you know, just because we fell in the water, we stood up. But now we're going to go run. We're going to run a marathon. And we're going to expand from here. Meanwhile, nothing's really changed pre and post pandemic. 
when you look at all the fundamental cracks of well, what's caused 2% GDP, if anything, it's, it's worse. Well, right, Richard, it's worse because of those deficits because right. and corporate borrowing. So it's actually the natural growth rate going forward is less than it was in 2019. And it was already trending lower, mm -hmm. and it's been trending lower for 30 years. But that it, it shifts down during each recession, and we've put out graphs on this. After each recession, that new growth rate is less than a prior growth rate. And that's going to be very true this time as well. So we're sitting here at an elevated growth rate. And just to get down to the old growth rate is going to be painful, but now we got to get to an even lower growth rate. And but to your point, not, a lot of this recency bias is saying is that's not going to happen. In other words, we just set this plateau. Oh, the best number since '80s or '90s, and it's going to continue. And to your point, that's not what's going to happen. Well, At least that would. Well, that's we don't. The conditions don't warrant us to go from another trajectory up from this. We've plateaued well, Richard, most let, likely. Go ahead. Let me just rephrase that. I'm not saying that that's what should happen. That's what will happen in a capitalist economy. There's what's going to stop the Fed, the Treasury from printing out more checks to the public from these trillion dollar spending bills, stimulus bills. Right. That's what we don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why we could continue this growth trajectory, because no one seems to care about deficits, that they'll get funded, and they get funded by the Fed, right? So until we get inflation, where the Fed can't do what they're doing, there's no reason that some of this can't continue. Especially, you know, the problem now is that the Democrats have all three branches, or not branches, but they have the House and Senate and they have the president, so they can pass whatever they want. If they were locked out of one of the two branches, then things become very contested at least on the fiscal front. So with all this going on, we have seen a shift. You always say NASDAQ day, Dow day, NASDAQ day, Dow day. And obviously we've been seeing a few more NASDAQ days like this morning, Dow futures down 155 points. Give, give, us, give us your um, analysis of this shift. And I know we're sort of like walking the line. We're, we're on both sides of this fence to some degree, the inflation, disinflation yeah. trade. But this, this shift that we're seeing to growth that had been out of favor here a bit, give us right. your overall view on this uh, Dow versus NASDAQ situation. So first of all, we have to straddle the fence because mm -hmm. we are in uncharted territory mm -hmm. and we don't know. Powell doesn't know. Powell even said he didn't know. They, they don't have a playbook for this. No one knows what's going to happen. We could have massive inflation. We can have deflation. So we're just straddling that fence, shifting to the left, shifting to the right, as we see things change day by day. So that's, first of all, most important. Mm -hmm. but, but what we know from history is that when the Fed does QE, interest rates rise. And when, when they're rising with inflation expectations. And with inflation expectations, you tend to get some of those value sectors, the financial companies, the energy companies, rise with it. Um, Conversely, when the Fed starts to talk about taper, at some point between thinking about thinking about tapering and just thinking about tapering, you get the opposite effect. You get a push towards the deflationary sectors, right? So this go around, that, that means that bonds are doing well. Mm -hmm. uh, that means that technology is doing well. The NASDAQ, like you mentioned, is doing well. Um, so that's what we've seen. And we've seen more of it the last kind of few weeks. 
and we've kind of anticipated it, mm-hmm. right? We, we kind That's of right. saw it coming technically. Uh, bonds had stalled out. They stopped pushing higher in yield. This has been going on for a few months now. And that's then right. more recently, they started dropping in yield. Mm-hmm. And that's a big message that the market was sending well in advance of the Fed meeting. So, you know, we have to, you know, I wish I could tell you that this deflationary push is going to last for three more weeks and then we get this and that. But, I mean, this is crazy what's going on here on a fiscal perspective, on a monetary perspective, and then the whole sociological perspective, right? Pent up demand and every, it's, you know, everyone's having a midlife crisis and they're buying stuff that, that they typically wouldn't do. They're spending money on, on, they're buying cars, they're buying houses, additions, they, price doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't. And so, so when will that get out of our systems, this pent up demand, this uh, PTSD, whatever you want to call it, and then what's going on on the fiscal and monetary side, and inflation's the biggest one, right? Inflation is part due to, you know, you can put all your macro technical fundamental factors out there, but there's a psychological aspect to it. My son's going to buy a car. My oldest son wants to buy a used car. So I said, dude, you may want to wait because Mm -hmm. car prices are on fire, and I showed him that Mannheim index graph. Yep. And his simple response was, Dad, but what if they're more next week and the week after that? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't I be getting a deal? And that's the psychological impact of inflation. If people start believing that, they will pay higher and higher prices because they don't know what they're going to be tomorrow. That's right. And it's happening with houses. It's a very, like what your son said, out of the, out of the, the mouth of younger people, that is what you feel. If I don't buy this house today... Next year, it's going to be higher. And I've been trying to say to everybody, when you follow the masses, you most likely will not make a good decision. In, right. You know, there's something called the momentum trade, and we get that, right? That, 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 look at Mandelbrot and all these, it works. The point I'm saying is with assets like this, I've been telling everybody, step aside. Right. Save a little bit more. Don't be caught in with the madness of the crowd uh, overall, but to your point, there's so much fuel on this fire. We have no idea. We have never quarantined healthy people before, and see this pent up demand along with this unprecedented fiscal and monetary policy. So, if you are an investor right now, whether you're with us or another advisor, you got to remember this is uncharted territory. What could what have worked last month may not work next month, and that's why we are straddling defense right great way to put it 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 kind of reminds me of the old explorers back in the you know 15 1600s maybe the earth is a square and maybe we're going to fall off the end of the earth you got to be careful you got to hedge yourself hashtag earth is flat all right there's another shirt yeah (laughs) you all have a great weekend michael thank you for your insight uh lance back on monday have a great weekend everybody Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.